Please be seated. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis observes that the practice of repentance can be very tricky business. He argues that only someone who has some sense of what it means to be good can understand what it means to be bad. The person who has no sense of what it means to be good will have no sense of what it means to be bad. Indeed, a person who has no sense of what it means to be good will think that bad is good. And Lewis suggests that this is one of the things that makes real repentance difficult for us because we want very much to believe that we are good people. We tend to resist the idea that we are bad. And when we're confronted by our need for repentance, as we are today, it reminds us that we are perhaps not as good as we would like to think. We don't like hearing that. So it takes, says Lewis, a good person to repent and it takes someone who not only has a clear sense that they should repent, but also has a clear sense of why they should repent and how. And that is the problem. Only a good person can repent truly, but a truly good person doesn't need to repent because they're good. The one who needs to repent, the bad person, is the one who can't repent because they don't even know that they need to repent. The worse you are, says Lewis, the more you need it, but the less you know it and the less you can do it. Now that is not just a logical puzzle for Lewis, that is a spiritual problem. And in many ways, I think Lewis has put his finger on the problem or the question that is at the heart of the observance of a holy Lent. How can we truly begin to practice the kind of repentance to which the season of Lent calls us? And Lewis, of course, is not the only one to have observed that the exercise of repentance can be tricky business. In our reading from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus himself makes much the same observation. The things that Jesus has to say about practicing one's piety points us in exactly the same direction that Lewis himself indicates. In fact, Jesus takes us even farther than Lewis does because Jesus shows us that even when we are in the midst of practicing our repentance, we can fall into the trap of thinking we're pretty good people after all for being so repentant. Even the occasion for confession can become an opportunity for spiritual pride. Hey, look at me, <laughs> I'm not so bad after all. This leaves us in quite a fix. We are called to repentance but we find that it is practically impossible for us to repent in a manner that is not tainted by our own self-serving interests. We find ourselves not far, indeed, from the place that St. Paul found himself when he reflected on his inability to keep the law. I know, said Paul, that nothing good dwells within me because every time I will to do what is right, I find I do not do it. The good that I want to do is not what I do. The evil I do not want to do that I know I should not do, that is what I do. I find it to be a law that when I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight 
in the law of God, in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin and death. Wretched man that I am, who can possibly deliver me? Sounds like we're stuck, right? Lewis, Paul, Jesus, all seem to be saying that even when we want to do our best, even when we want to admit that we don't always do our best, despite our strongest efforts, despite our best intentions, we are not able to be the people that we would like to be and that we know we should be. That is exactly where the observance of a holy Lent begins, with an awareness of our poverty We cannot rest in the assurance of our own righteousness because we are not righteous people. We cannot rest even in our repentance because even our acts of repentance can become occasions for self-righteousness. So there we are. Now there is both a short version and a slightly longer version of the answer to that problem. It's the same answer regardless of how much time you spend talking about it. I'm gonna give you the short version first. If you forget the long version, remember this one. We find it impossible to be truly good people. Do good anyways. We find it impossible to practice true repentance. Repent anyways. Yes, there will always be an element of hypocrisy to everything we do, Don't worry about it. When we continually strive to do good in the face of our inability to do so, when we continually strive to repent and return to the Lord, despite our inability to do so, we bear witness to the fact that it is God who saves us and not we ourselves. Do good, repent, keep trying. That's the short answer. That answer gets us started. Ultimately though, we need a little more than that. The short answer is not really very satisfying. We need the long answer. The slightly longer answer begins and ends with the person of Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who shows us what true goodness looks like, and Jesus is the one who shows us what real repentance looks like. And Jesus is also the one who helps us overcome our our inability to do what we know is right and to practice repentance the way that he calls us to. So first, Jesus is the one who shows us what true goodness looks like. Jesus did, of course, a lot of good things, really great things. He fed hungry people, he cured sick people, he taught people about the kingdom of God. Ultimately, Jesus even gives his life for the sake of the gospel. But it was not any of those things in and of themselves that made Jesus good. You remember the words that Jesus spoke to the one who called him good teacher? Good teacher, what must I do? Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. There's something there that gives us a clue to understanding the goodness of Jesus. What makes Jesus the one who shows us what true goodness looks like is the fact that he did not consider his goodness. He did not consider his life his own. 
His life was ordered around the will of his father. His life was dedicated to the proclamation of the gospel in both word and deed. In other words, what Jesus shows us is that a good person is someone who seeks first not their own well-being or their own prerogatives, but someone who seeks first the kingdom of God. Being a good person means giving up your life so that you can find real life, true life, abundant life. Jesus is also the one who shows us what real repentance looks like. And that may sound a little funny because we're used to thinking of Jesus as having been so good that he didn't need to repent. And yet the biblical witness is clear. One of the gifts that Jesus gives to us is that he shows us how to repent. You remember the story of the baptism of Jesus? Jesus comes to John at the Jordan River. John does what? He tries to prevent him from being baptized. And yet Jesus tells John that his own act of repentance is part of the fulfillment of God's promise. The author of the epistle to the Hebrews picks up on the same theme when he writes that Jesus had to become like us in every respect, even our need for repentance, so that he can serve as our high priest. In his humility, in his identification with us, even in our need for repentance, Jesus shows us what real repentance looks like. And finally, and most important, Jesus is the one who helps us overcome our inability to do what is right and to offer the kind of repentance to which we are called. What we find as we follow him on the path of faith is that the further we go, the more dependent we are on him. If we don't find that to be the case, if we feel as if we're growing in the life of faith, such that we're getting stronger and stronger and we need to rely less and less on Jesus, don't worry, I got it from here, we're probably on the wrong path. (laughs) There is never a point at which we can stop leaning on Jesus or when we stop depending on his grace. The further we go, the more we need him. And this is, again, something St. Paul talked about quite a bit. In his letter to the Romans, he wrote that being a disciple of Jesus means far more than just trying to follow his example. Being a disciple of Jesus means being joined to him in his death and in his resurrection. Do you not know, he wrote, do you not know you've been baptized? Those of you who have been baptized have been joined to Christ in his death. For all intents and purposes, Paul says, if you're baptized, you're dead. But because we have died with him, so we now also live with him, a life we could never attain on our own. In his letter to the Galatians, he writes, it is no longer I who live, but it is now Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave his life for me. It is the power of God at work in us that enables us to be good people and to practice true repentance. That's the long answer. The good news here is that what all of this means is that fundamentally, Lent is an invitation. Lent is nothing other than an invitation to draw closer to Jesus. From wherever you are, you can draw closer to Jesus to learn how to depend on him more than we have in the past so that we can observe the kind of repentance to which he calls us, 
and practice the kind of goodness that he gives to us. Lent ultimately is about more, more of the faith, more of the hope, more of the love, and more of the life that God gives to us in Jesus. Another way of putting that is to say that Lent is an opportunity to live out the words of St. Francis, who recognized that it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.